When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Flexwater Podcast. This is episode 35. I'm Kobe. I'm Helen. Today we are joined by Adam from This White Lies. Hello. And Chris from Easy Rider Raging Podcast. How are you doing? And we are talking today about Serpico. Serpico. Come find us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod. Visit the website FlixWatcher.tv for full listings. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us an awesome review. There will be spoilers and bad language. You have been warned. (laughs) So all films were available on Netflix at the time recording, guys. You've heard their voices on episodes such as Jet Li's The One and The Talented Mr. Ripley. Those are, that's Jay and Tony, but also they've got other people as Greg and as Toby as well. Tony and Toby, that's quite confusing, guys. But those guys are the unsung heroes of Flixwatcher Podcast and we really want to send people their way. If you want to be a podcaster and you like the way Flixwatcher sounds, then you need to be in contact with these guys because they do all our editing and make what we do sound good. You know all the ums and ahs that you hear? You what ums and all? Exact- what ums and all? Exactly, because they take them all out and they make it sound awesome. And they've had to deal with didgeridoos, they've had to deal with people hoovering, and they've taken all that out. So we really think these guys are top notch. If you want to start your podcast, not sure how to edit it, you need to get in contact with these guys. Podcast at glpro.co.uk or on Twitter is at glprouk and tell them that Kobe and Helen sent you and they'll give you 10% off your first order. So give them a shout. Hello and welcome to this episode of Flixwatcher Pod. Today, me and Kobe are joined by Adam and Chris. If you'd like to do yourselves a little introduction and tell us about the podcast you work on, please. Yeah, so I'm Adam uh, Woodward and I am the digital editor at Little White Lies magazine, which if you don't know, is a magazine that's all about movies that we publish five times a year. And we have a podcast as well, which we started this year called Truth and Movies, mm-hmm. which I occasionally partake in. So uh, Little White Lies, like, I think it's important to say five times a year, but you put a lot of effort into the magazine, don't you? Yeah, I mean, so it does It does take a good couple of months to put together. Yeah. So it started out as being bi-monthly. It was established in 2005, so actually coming up next year to our 75th issue. Should be a good time for celebration. And you put a lot of the effort into the front cover, which is, I think, your, your strapline is the most beautiful film magazine, Evs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we, we take a sort of upcoming release yeah. and then use that as like the thematic and visual inspiration for the whole issue. So the front section of the mag is basically redesigned every issue around that film. Yeah. So recently on the cover, we've got Martin McDonough's new film, uh, Three, Three Billboards. Billboards. Yeah. Outside Ebbing, Missouri. A beautiful portrait of 
Francis McDormand on the front, which is uh, actually done by our in-house art director, okay. Loren Boglio, very talented Loren Boglio. It's her first cover. She's been working for us for about three years or so now. Oh, really? First time she's done her cover herself, and it's it's really, really good. So. And one of my favorite covers of yourselves was was Boyhood. I don't know if you were working with Little White Lies at the time. I was, yeah. I've been I've been at Little White Lies now for actually about eight years, yeah. so quite a while. That was that was one of my favorite issues of recent times, actually, because I I actually travelled to Austin in Texas to speak to Richard Linklater. His okay. film was at the South by Southwest Film Festival, so I got to meet him in his own backyard and hear about the film and actually see it kind of before anyone else had seen it nice. which is quite nice because there was no hype no one had really known much about the film other than that it was this like project he was he'd been working on for like 12 years and I, that was i think it was my favorite film of the year i've not seen it since because it is a three-hour slog and on netflix i don't think that kind of works that well but it's one of the best films of the decade without a question yeah i think we ranked it pretty high of our of our end of year list that year if it mm. wasn't number one and uh but like you say I, i'm not, sh- not sure it's one i would revisit soon but eventually hopefully that'll be a low low repeat viewing score if we ever if ever if anyone ever chooses it for this podcast and that's yeah from your magazines where i first learned about it and got excited about it and, and things like that oh great who are you chris <laughs> chris johnston to give myself my full name or christopher ian johnston but you don't need all that obviously and can we have your uh, social security number yeah well for the, for the american listeners yes uh nus no what is it I'm host of a podcast called Easy Riders Raging Podcast. It's a classic film podcast focused last year just on 60s films and next year just on 70s films. And we, we watch films, we recast them with, with current actors. We work out who we would be in the film with our feature, Who Am I? Which is, which is always a lot of fun. Yep. We're always very irrelevant characters. Well, try and remind us at the end to do a think now of who you'd recast as... I guess Serpico is the only real person noting this film, but who would you recast as Serpico going forward? Yeah, that's, yeah something to think about. But yeah, yeah, it's a podcast, one film at a time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit film score and a bit sort of film fun. Adam, you chose Serpico. Can you let us know why you chose it and what, what the did, synopsis yeah. is? I think I chose this because, so on our podcast, it's a weekly review show, but every week we revisit an old film. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily old, old film, but something that is maybe worth a reappraisal as part of the Little White Lies Film Club. And we picked this, actually, no, sorry, not this film. Uh, we picked Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Another great 70s Al Pacino film and Sidney Lumet film as well because it's sort of loosely tied in with a film called Good Time, which is fantastic, which has just come out. And yeah, I just thought, unfortunately, Dog Day Afternoon is not on Netflix. Right. What but a Sir, shame. Currently. Is. Currently. But Serpico is. And uh, I think actually having watched it, it's probably the more interesting film Serpico over Dog Day. Yeah, I mm. think so. So yeah, I'm sort of glad I ended up picking it and rewatching it. And can you give us a an overview of what happens in the in the story? Yeah, so it's based on a true story about a guy called Frank Serpico, played by Al Pacino, mm-hmm. who is a very sort of moralistic NYPD officer, and he basically makes it his mission to clean up the the force against corruption. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a long time since I since I saw this. I think the first time was. On TV, actually, it's not a film that gets a lot of repeats on on TV, but I think it was like a very late night, like a kind of flicking through the channels and kind of catching catching it then. And uh, you know, you know Al Pacino. Obviously, everyone knows Al Pacino for Godfather and other things. And I feel like he's kind of become nowadays a bit of a parody of himself. Well, if you're appearing in Adam Sandler films, yeah, Adam Sandler films, and he does it's post heat. Al Pacino, did he do those like? 
direct line adverts recently or it was some like insurance company erased from my memory if i've ever seen yeah exactly so (laughs) so you know for maybe like for a younger generation you know of al pacino and there's an idea of like who he was or who he is but you know this is really one of his like first major roles he was nominated for an oscar for it rightly so and unfortunately didn't win but yeah there's just something i mean the film is all about his performance Mm. and what's really great about it i think is that it's not your kind of classic really big imposing Al Pacino performance at least not initially he kind of builds to that moment but it's actually quite a long time before you get that first real explosive energy that he brings to his characters but it's just a beautifully realized character yeah Chris what are your thoughts it was a film I watched years ago watched lots there was a point where my friend could get served in HMV we just bought loads of cheap videos and we watched tons of films from this year watched Dog Day Afternoon watched this Doberman all kinds of films and watched it then and I really remembered nothing from it to be honest watched it 20 years ago and watching it again now for this i guess three three things stood out to me i guess that his performance is, is chief among them there were lots of nice locations like some of the places they set they, they filmed scenes you're like oh that looks really cool i'd love to go there and obviously the third one which we'll come back to probably more later is the fashions of the film <laughs> but i did feel like the film i don't know didn't fully hold my attention okay. which obviously is one of the categories in our scoring later but yeah it's a weird film that kind of goes around the houses a little bit. It's kind of like, I could seen it before, but I was like trying to remember, like, what is the film about? It's, it's, a, it's a character piece. It's a character study. It's a character study. And a recent touchstone for me is something like Zodiac, which, although very different tonally, it, it kind of follows this one character, a very virtuous character on this, on this kind of crusade almost. And it's very frustrating putting yourself in that character's shoes because, you know, ultimately, I guess he, he sort of arrives at a point where as a redemptive, you know, nice capping off of his arc. But for a long time, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of with him on this ride, not knowing necessarily where he's going to end up, whether he's going to be killed, mm-hmm. which again, similar sort of thing in Zodiac. And there's just a sense of like frustration about the character. And But yeah. there's, there's no one like big scene early on, which spurs him on this quest, you like. Well, I think it, it's... No, I don't think there's a catalyst moment. Do you think that starts him to like, no, this is, he's just... He's just a weird guy who just doesn't really mesh with the people he's working with. Is he weird though? Is he like what you hope all policemen are like? And he's quite aloof for for for, for mm. police on screen police. But he's quite by the book. I mean, the first so you first meet him and he's like a he's graduated he's from the police academy. Well, no, well, we first meet him. He's been shot. Well, okay. So the first time we we meet him after the, well in flashback, I guess when the film sort of goes back to the start mm. he's just graduated from the police academy and he's being put on the beat and one of the first busts i guess or, or crimes that he has to deal with is is a, a pretty horrific rape incident yeah true and uh yeah just you get this sense very early on i think of him being very quickly jaded by the job and by others around him and you know he wants to do things by the book he wants to process his own collars as they call them and and you know he's constantly being blackballed and there's there's all this red tape and yeah as i say you get this straight away you get a sense of frustration i know what you mean about there not being a catalyst moment for him wanting to like not just turn on the people who he sees as being corrupt and immoral but the people around him his friends yeah his friends and, his and girlfriends and, and the, just the whole hierarchy of, of of the mipd but it's just this idea that he very willingly puts himself on the other side of all of that why don't you quit is that wrong? Did anyone else think that? I think that I think that's the thing. Kind of, he, he, well, that's what one of his girlfriends kept telling him to do, wasn't it? Yeah, she was right. And 
you know, you know, he's a kind of superhero in a way, or he's, or he's, you know, supposed to represent this bigger ideal. You know, it's, it's the whole thing is bigger than him, and other people underestimate him because of that, and and because the, because he basically just doesn't care about what happens to him. You know, he's quite willing to put himself on the line for this, and maybe that feels a little bit far fetched in a way, but there's something just about his portrayal of the character that feels very earnest and very sincere and and truthful as well. He's a very much an idealistic cop. Definitely. So I don't, I think, I think, and I think that's just his personality true and true. And he's joined the police force because he feels he can make a change. So I think he's come to the police force fully formed. And I don't think you, you're likely to get a moment that he thought, hold on, you're taking money. I don't need to see that at all. But I guess the film, the film sort of meanders along for quite a, like we have the, the first scene is late in the film where he's been shot and he's bleeding. That's basically the filmmaker saying, sit tight something is going to happen it's going to be significant because they put that there from my opinion to, to sort of say don't worry something because it sort of meanders for, for quite a way do you think like it's not like a it's not like a it's not an action film it's not a comedy you know it's just sort of it's just watching this guy start his career his life the people around him i think for me that just it's like goodfellas or something like that mm. opening scene yeah it straight away just puts you into this world and tells you what it's about. You don't know that he's a police officer at the mm. start of the film. He's in the back of a car. Yeah. Can't really tell what type of car it is. There's, o- there's officers with him. But he's been shot and you're like, okay, this guy's either a criminal or maybe he's a policeman. You don't really know. It's quite ambiguous. So I think, yeah. It, it, and also I love the way that they everyone's like running around on the phone like, oh my God, Serpico's been shot. It's yeah. like John Wick or something. As soon as you <laughs> say his name, everyone's Everyone like, knows oh God. They've yeah. got those coins. You get this sense of a bigger picture, a bigger story. I think that was a really forward. interesting point you made because I didn't know, I knew the story is of a, an undercover cop, but had I not known that, I would have thought he was a big crime lord and he'd been shot and everyone's, I didn't know if they were, I thought they were all journalists that mm. they, they were reporting it. And one of the statements that someone made was, I know at least six policemen who said they would shoot him. So then it becomes a case of, okay, where's this going? Is it, he's a crime lord and he's been shot by the police? Or is this just a story of a really famous person that the journalists are reporting on? Or is it an internal affairs person that all the police hates? And that's, I guess that's the, the one it is. What are your thoughts, Helen? Well, I've, I haven't seen this before, but I came into it knowing about it mm. and that it was based on a real person and uh basically who brought down some corruption in New York at that particular time. So I didn't have that ambiguity of like, oh, who is he? Why has he been shot? But I did spend the whole of the film going, come on then, shoot him. <laughs> come on, I want to see who, who shoots him. And it was, it's a bit underwhelming when it actually happens, don't you think? Yeah. When you said that you, you maybe might pick Dog Day Afternoon, I, I would have been a bit more happy with that one because I really like that film. But this one... I, I didn't it's not for me I don't think so which is a shame because I thought I, I was going to really like it but I just kind of thought oh, I quite like the Max Fisher versions of it from Rushmore <laughs> I would have liked to have seen a, maybe more more of that and El Pacino's a funny one isn't he because he has put in some great performances but I just thought he was just the little bit of the OTT El Pacino in this one. Oh, really? Oh, well, you just yeah. you see him flare up, and it, but it's quite good when he gets angry. Don't you think he's he's so passionate? Yeah. I don't know. It I, hasn't become a cliche yet. No, but I don't know. I I don't think this this wouldn't stick out as being one of my favourite performances of his. I think you you mentioning the the kind of weirdness of the character. 
I don't know whether that's just looking at it in in hindsight almost or looking at it from a kind of modern point of view, but he does seem to be uh, he he's so different to everyone else in the force. Yeah. yeah everyone else has the same haircut. Mm. They all kind of smoke. They all wear the same like pretty dull suits. And this guy walks around. He looks like the fourth BG or something. Or something. <laughs> I, I did make a note yeah. that he looked like he was one. Of he's the a complete actually. outsider. Yeah, yeah, he is. And, he, and everything guess, and everyone. He fights to keep his mustache. Yeah, it is. It's a good mustache. We well, start. He, he starts 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 with just the tash, questionable tash. <laughs> but yeah, grow. It goes full sort of Paul McCartney wings. I mean, I think now is probably the time. If you if you've ever walked around East London or Peckham, yeah. then oh, you will see are, you see surfaces everywhere. Yeah, but the, the, <laughs> the character's become, I think, in popular culture, he's really endured, and I'm not quite sure why. Because yes, it's a. I think it's a, one of Al Pacino's best performances, if, if not his best. But I don't know that it's a film that people really know that it's not like because you know you can see those posters there's not like the scarface equivalent most people you know scarface is probably yeah and you don't know you don't have like serpico on t-shirts in in high street shops and stuff but at the same time people people know the character the idea of him being like a good cop i don't think you, you see policemen portrayed like this very often one of my favorite documentaries of recent years was the seven five or precinct seven five which is uncovering in the 80s in Brooklyn, the massive scale corruption centered around one cop who was just literally raking it in hand mm. over fist. And I didn't know this was a true story going into it, but it just kind of shows that how much, I guess Serpico went in with an idealistic point of view, but a lot of cops probably went into the police force thinking, well, I can make some money on the side here and it'd be quite an easy, easy ride. So it was quite, I really, I did really enjoy this film. I was going to say I would recommend it quite highly. So but I'm going to wait into the scores for that. I think one other thing to, to say about this film is that, you know, if this was made today, I think given, especially given the sort of current climate in, in America around uh, race and, and the police force, mm. probably the agenda or the message of the film would be pushed a lot more. And I think the way the film handles that, it's just trying to depict this obviously true story. And it does it in a very interesting way where it's not like, you know, you, you know Serpico's right, but you're not necessarily... On, on his, his side, side yeah. fully. Because he is a bit of a dick about it in a way. Sometimes ways. he can be, and he's he's quite, you know, he's quite kind of cantankerous and abrasive character as well. So, you know, it doesn't hold him up on this pedestal and put him necessarily above everyone else other than the fact that he doesn't skim off the top. And, but yeah, I think I think the way it goes about, you know, putting, putting across this message almost of corruption being a bad thing mm. and and not necessarily depicting all of the police officers who are guilty of corruption as being just like evil people or, or just, you know, inherently bad people. They're just like ordinary guys as well. But I guess before this time, at least not in films, they weren't really shining a light on cops. Cops are heroes. They're like firemen or army people. But yeah. this was the 70s. Nixon was the president. Yeah, what's you know, Corruption was, this was the era of corruption and sort of, evilness or, I don't know what the... if you look at the decade from 63 to 73 when this film was made from like kennedy's assassination t- and to here you have like vietnam that you have like the public dissent around that it's, it's the death of the american dream exactly i mean I, I don't know if anyone's seen the ken burns documentary vietnam vietnam the vietnam no. war which is fantastic it's like he makes these epic journalistic kind of documentaries and yeah it's, it's really fascinating that i think you do see hints of like films like Serpico to come from watching that and, and the environment, the culture that was undergoing this massive sea change, I guess, at the yeah, time. Definitely. You have the death of the American dream and then there's all that dark New York 70s stuff, which is kind of like... Which is a city on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. and Before Trump bought it all. Yeah. 
this this period in America, well, no, you're 63 to 73, wasn't it? Mm. But parts of New York were very much underserviced. It's because all, all the all the wealth fled the city, and because it was becoming very, uh, New York was becoming very diverse. Yeah, all the wealthy white people moved out, and the money there was no money left to, to fund the city. Yeah, and so it became impoverished and run down. And this is preceding preceding like the death of disco and hip hop mm. starting and stuff like that. And those are against the backdrop of parts of the Bronx and Brooklyn just literally falling on its knees. So this this kind of precedes all that, and a, a lot of that is kind of predicated because the police were just had they were just letting things happen. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're right. And and I actually watching this film with my girlfriend who'd never seen the film before. Mm. She made a comment about the fact that a lot of the criminals in the film are, are black. Right, and I, I thought, noticed. She actually. thought that yeah. was quite an iffy thing. I guess viewing it from a, again like 21st century uh, perspective, and I actually think that's kind of an interesting statement from the filmmakers of like. This is the reality of, of New York in the 70s where yeah. these guys were criminalized, basically. Yeah. These were the, the guys who were, you know, it, it's sort of symptomatic of the economic environment that they're being brought up in. Um, and the police are pretty much all white as well. Yeah. So you get this sense of racial tension, which the film doesn't really exploit or go into too much. But, you know, definitely from that, you can trace it right through to, to today. Yeah, because I don't think that was on its agenda. I think I was just trying to be its wife thought was a representation of what was going on at the time yeah before we go into scores guys i think what about any of the other characters there weren't re- were there any other characters of note really in this Can we talk about the dog yeah <laughs> the big sheep dog the dulux dog yeah what do you want to say just about a it? random moment in the film because <laughs> it's to humanize the character yeah i guess it'd be give him a dog show him he's not all bad he's moving into his new apartment and there's two very sort of dodgy, dodgy people, looking people <laughs> seemingly selling Loads of pup. They've got loads of English sheepdog puppies. Did you think they were going to nick his stuff? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, th- I wonder whether there was a scene that they just cut out of there. But mm. uh, yeah, so he buys a dog. He, d- he didn't even check with his landlord if he was allowed a pet. I think New York. And it was, it grew into quite a big dog. That's the least of a landlord's worries. Yeah, in, in exactly. Time, it's interesting to say that because then he has a motorbike. So I. Th- and it's not a very motorbike-friendly dog, is it? Not yeah, the dog doesn't are ride. Are any, are any dogs motorbikes? A little chihuahua. Oh, like but I'm just thinking the, the car doesn't make an appearance again. I, I think there must have been some editing and continuity. Oh, is that what you mean? Right so you reckon they might yeah. have taken the car and they just kind of thought, well, don't worry about it. Shave a bit off the runtime. <laughs> but no, I well, lose the car scene. That, that can go. I do like the dog, though, because it does, it does humanize him in a way. And not in a sort of, con- you know, not in a contrived way where you constantly see him showing the dog affection most mm. of the time the dog's just there like he'll come home from a horrendous day where he's been you know basically given all these ultimatums by people and and then he'll yeah the dog will just be there in the in the apartment like, oh. there was also strickland from back to the future he showed up yep i noticed that I was like slacker slacker <laughs> what are you doing with that guy what are you doing with that guy you know it's always novel when you see somebody from something else show up like m emmett walsh from blood simple he showed up briefly as well tony roberts is in there is he the guy from annie hall is he his main friend? Yep. Yeah. Because he's, he's his mate. Yeah. He's his friend who they both kind of treat. They get stoned. Yeah. Together. They get paid Descri- to get stoned. Yeah. Describe that relationship because it's a bit of an odd one. Even though They both seem to be on the same side of the tracks in terms of. I kind of. I thought that Tony Robbins might be. Is it Robbins or Roberts? Roberts. thought Tony Robbins might actually be trying to set Serpico up. I just thought he was trying to see how high hmm. he'd want to take this thing. But it seemed like he was properly legit. And he seems to have been quite lucky in finding a friend, someone who is an honest cop mm-hmm. on the same kind of tracks as him in a different kind of t- trajectory where Serpico's on the streets and this guy's detective gold badge 
making a different headway for himself. It's quite a crucial point as well. And this is ma- a massive spoiler territory. Spoilers are allowed. That he isn't actually shot by one of the cops. No. Because, you know, the film sort of sets that up or it tees that up initially. And you're kind of waiting for one of them to do him in, actually. You're waiting for him to be double-crossed in a very physical and violent way. And and I think it's great. It's not, you know, in in a lot of ways, it is a, it is a sort of anti-establishment film, but it's not necessarily anti-police. And I like that about it. Yeah. Although most of the police you see, you don't really like. Yeah, but I think they, again, you get this idea of them being corrupted by, it's like the system is rotten rather than the individuals. Yeah. And they are all part of that. They're all connected to it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the politicians when they were done for having two properties and and, and doing the flipping. It's just that yeah. that's what happened. So you got you kind of got on with it. True. So all right. Because you know you know in the film obviously his character is he doesn't take the the bribes the payoffs, but obviously he does wear all the fashions of the rainbow. Like he's he's never <laughs> afraid of a look. Like there's about twenty different hats from like a V ninety seven bucket hat to bubble hats hold on it's got a pretty good poncho that looks one of like one of those bath mats that you've cut your head out of there's nothing he won't try like <laughs> of all the jewelry and necklaces he reminded me a bit of jack sparrow then he got a fucking parrot so <laughs> yes. i was like he's gone full jack sparrow i thought it's bit because he was undercover and i'm not aware of the fashions of those times but I, I i couldn't help but thinking does he not stand out still well there's a great bit where he's actually chasing a guy down and he ends up in getting into a bit of an altercation with two officers yeah. who don't recognise him because yeah. he's so deep in undercover. And, you know, whether whether he's been told to, you know, grow his hair like that and wear those hats or not, it's just, that's his idea of I think blending that, in. I think that's why he took the job because it was a job that allowed him to dress as casually as he wanted. <laughs> but there's, there's no look he will not try. Like he would put the contestants of RuPaul's Drag Race to shame with outrageous outfits. I think it works though. I think he totally pulls it off. It's, it was probably this, the thing that I enjoyed the most of the film was his outfits, I'll be honest. And I had I'd outlined his theory because he's not taking bribes. But I figured he was taking like free clothes <laughs> without realising that he was being bribed <laughs> with clothes. Like he was anti the system, but that system was giving him his So you reckon they're like Louis Vuitton hats and stuff like that he's, he's wearing? Yeah, they're like, they're like, I'll take all this money. So like, no, 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 but I'll take that, take that hat and those, those rings. Yeah. Actually, so the the real life Frank Serpico, yeah, who this is based on, Al Pacino and him work quite closely together prepping the film. And okay, I think he did take a lot of inspiration from that. And there's actually a documentary which actually came out, I think, quite recently in the US. It's just called Frank Serpico, and it's him telling his story. Oh, and some of the clothes he wears in that are quite. You, you can tell he hasn't lost his. Uh, oh, the, his the real one the is real quite. Frank Serpico, is, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. It's a good little uh, companion to this actually. Mm. I'll definitely watch that. Yeah, if we can get it. Hopefully it's on Netflix. Don't think it is. <laughs> it might be in the US though. It's popcorn. It's popcorn shed. Popcorn Ooh. shed time, baby. We we haven't practiced that and you can tell. We we're apologizing for that now. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. But we just want to sing the praises of popcorn shed. Because it's super tasty. We've got some rich chocolate flavour, which is, what was it? Chocolate caramel. With Belgian milk chocolate. So not any chocolate, Belgian milk chocolate. And it is very much like having a bowl of Cocoa Pops. I'm just going to do the crunch test right now. Hold on. I think that's about 9.8 on the crunchometer. Yeah, it's good. It's very, very, very chocolatey Mm. and I've just read on here, it may contain the occasional unpopped kernel, but don't worry about that if you've got any worries about popcorn. So I should say, if you're if you're allergic to chocolate, this is not the one for you because there's 
There's tons of chocolate. There's millions of chocolate in every single bite. To the chin of Toys R Us. Go to popcornshed.com and get the popcorn because it's super tasty and find them online. Popcorn Shed. Pop. Let's go into the scores, guys, I reckon. Sure. So. This is the patented, not yet, <laughs> Flex Watcher scoring system. Yep. As inspired by the Little White Lie scoring system. <laughs> Adam. Inspired, not stolen. Inspired, exactly. <laughs> This is a tetra- I'm sure ours was stolen from something else. Tetrafactor. Tripartite. It's not really a word. Tetrapartite. Neither is recommendability, but we'll let oh, that yeah. one slide. That is a perfect word. Helen Zaltzman from the Illusionist podcast said it's a word that works. So, you know, speak to Susie Dent from Dictionary Corner give <laughs> from Countdown and she put it in there. She'll put it in the Oxford English Dictionary. Recommendability score. Adam, this is your choice of film. Out of five, what will you, how highly would you recommend it? I'm going to go big and go five okay. for this. And I think purely because it's one of those like touchstone American classics. I think everyone probably should watch if they are interested in cinema. Yeah. And I also think it is some relevance to today and what's going on. So, Chris? I'm going to give it a three. I'd recommend it, but with reservations. Like I don't think it's for everyone. It's a character piece where not a huge amount happens. And for a lot of people, that's, I don't think people are going to respond to that. So free, because I do think it's a good film, but it's not a great film. Cool. Helen? I'm also going to go down the three route. I, I didn't really enjoy it, and I thought it was a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you haven't seen it and you're a El Pacino fan or a sort of fan of that era of cinema, then you should definitely give it a go, because mm. obviously sort of listen to what you've all said about it i can kind of see that but it didn't really do it for me on that one and also i was kind of wondering that there's not really much of a score to it not much music in it and um i didn't that, notice much it, stuff going on there absence of sort of sound which is just, a big just thing shouting and dogs yeah barking. i think, uh, think sydney sydney lamette probably made better films than this yeah i yeah. uh, followed it up with i think he made murder on the orient express in between this and dog the afternoon and then he made network so he had an amazing run in the kind of mid 70s and i think maybe and before that he did 12 angry men yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think, which is amazing uh, which is yeah. really one of his first i think i think with this it hasn't held up quite as well as something like network or dog day and those two maybe are more well known now but yeah. i would say if you if you like those films and that era of cinema. And I am a sucker for that and a sucker for Al Pacino. So, so when did this come out? 75, was it? 73. Yeah. 73, yeah. 73. I wanted to touch on the Sydney LeMay. Is it, do you pronounce a T? I do, but you know. Well, take, well, to add the T there. If you have, yeah. I wanted to touch on that, partly because as we are recording the the latest version of Murder on the Orient Express is out. I've not seen Sydney's version, but I love, love to bits, 12 Angry Men. And it's, it's one of those examples of a perfect film, I think. Do you think it's perfect? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hungry man, yeah. Uh, his, his Not murder, murder on the Orient Express. Or his, his murder on the Orient Express is kind of amazing. It's got just an extraordinary cast. Yeah. Is that with Tim Curry? Is that right? Are no, you it's Clue. Uh, no, I just saw a picture in a magazine that said Murder on the No. I haven't seen it. So I no, no, it's got like. Clue's great, though. It's got Albert, like, Albert Finney plays. Albert Finney plays Poirot, and it's yeah. got like Lauren Bacall's in it. Oh wow! It's just it's just a, a who's who of like. That's kind of what they tried to do with the new one, though. I don't think yeah. they, they went but that not... far out. I mean, Daisy Ridley, she's. I, but that's I really what they like tried her. to do. Right. But 
I mean, who's going to go and see? Can we, the can new we just version? bring up the cast list for it? Because it is it's what is really worth reading out for which but for the, the, the I think original it's 1974 Murder on the Orient Express. And I'm not sure that it's. I wouldn't say it's like. Oh, they should have had Pacino play um, Poirot. Oh yeah, with his t- with his tash, his with tash. You just kind of tweak it a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this film is not necessarily a classic or, or even worth really watching. And I'm not sure there's what ever, made on the audience Yeah, I'm express. not sure there's ever been a good adaptation of it, to be honest. But so yeah, you've got Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Sean Connery, Sean Connery's in it. Tony for a Perkins, bit. John Gilgood, yeah, Anthony Perkins, Redgrave, Michael yeah. York, Michael York. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's a real fest. Sean Connery, yeah. yeah. So these, I mean, compared up to now, I mean, there were these, named people on. They're big and, names and the, at the time, yeah, definitely. So these, these are super names at the time, but for the for the current one, there's some known names but like i said daisy ridley she's not established yet she's been in one film which is huge in star wars but that's not really what's a star what i've never heard of it star wars it's a film set in space Ugh. and check that one out who else there's a guy from the, one of the, the, doc, the guy who plays a doctor he's in Runner he's in hamilton johnny depp in it josh gad michelle josh pfeiffer sounds, so, so uh, michelle pfeiffer's probably the biggest name in there not these days no i mean yeah. she was catwoman but that was like 20 years ago she was in Mother this year, which she was good in. I think I, I really like Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I like Michelle. Props to... Let's yeah. Cheers to Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> Going back to the scores. <laughs> yeah, sorry for that. No, no, I think it's... Because it gives an idea. I mean, I think Sidney Lumet had a... The 70s had, were his has had a crack golden run. age, weren't they? And there's, there's very few directors who can say they've had as good a run as him. And I think this doesn't ruin it. And I'm going to give it a four. He's one of those people who are, yo, I don't think I've seen these Sidney Lumet films that go, ah, you have. Yeah. Repeat viewing score, Adam. I think I'll go slightly lower for this one. Yeah. It is just all about his performance, I, I think, and I can watch, in terms of rewatchability, just to throw another <laughs> word in there. But oh, I shit, why didn't this change it to rewatchability? For repeat viewing, I'm going to just go four. Slightly lower, but still high. Chris? One. <laughs> I, see, a- I see over your shoulder on the notes is 1.5. And uh, initially, so yeah, what, yeah. how did it lose the uh, 0.5? I'm just mulling it over, you know, sort of keeping it fresh. But yeah, it's been over 15 years since I watched it. And unless I'm talking about it on my own podcast, it'll probably be over 15 years again before I watch it. <laughs> do you think you'll do this one or? Probably, because it's, 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 it's a landmark 70s film. But not Dog Day then? Oh, I'll do that as well. Oh, okay. I'll do them all. I'll do Network. I'll do, maybe I'll do Mur- Murder on the, on the Train or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I know what it's called. Death on a train. It's called Eating from the Orient Express. Helen. One. Nothing I, to say yeah, about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to watch this again. Why is it not zero then? Because um, I didn't hate it. What? Uh, I mean, I'm, 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 I might be interested in watching the, um, the documentary that you mentioned about it to so find out I, a little bit more about the real Frank. So vicariously, it gets a one. Yeah, I don't want to be too mean on it because I, I don't want to bring its score down too much. I don't hate it. No, but the but score's the score, isn't it? You can't. It's, you, it's fun doing this. Though, there's there's because... no wrong opinion. Yeah, I mean, if if it was on in a room I walked in, then I wouldn't go turn this off immediately. I can't mm. bear to watch it. But the the way that we watch films now is so different. Whereas, like when I used to have a, a regular TV, yeah. I would quite often flip through channels and come across a film that I'd seen before. And happily have it on in the background. Whereas now, I have to actively go and sit down with the mindset of watching a film. And yeah. this wouldn't be one that I would actively see again. But if it happened to be on, I, you know, I, I might watch some of the bits again, maybe. 
I was just going to say, it's, it's what's great about doing this because so many films which people, you know, just describe as like being a classic and you have to see this film. And, and there's so many great films that I've never seen. Yeah. And so many that I have, which everyone loves, that I didn't particularly like. And it's, you know, I'm sure you, I mean, you said you had a kind of idea of what this film was about before seeing it, right? And yeah. it's interesting to sort of see how that stacks up to actual I physical enjoyment of watching it. I thought I would have liked it more, but it, it just didn't work for me. I just so thought the, it was a bit slow. So the anticipation score will be quite high when it we get to the LWR yeah. scores. Yeah. I don't think I'll watch it many more times, if at all, but I'm going to give it a two. It's because, quite long. Yeah. It's over two hours. I think it's two, yeah, two ten. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think watch it more. I've in terms of cinematic blind spots, I've still not seen Network. I know Network's currently on. I'm, I'm the same actually. I haven't yeah. seen Network, but yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm kind of like building myself up to see. It. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to watch that. I know. Yeah. I feel I like I know that. I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm just like also like, someone's going to pick it soon. Well, it's, well, it's, yeah, you know. I guess Network has a really iconic moment or scene that everybody knows. It's yep. like ubiquitous now, and it's been repeated and memed so much and Serpico maybe doesn't have that moment in it yeah which I don't know maybe that's like is there, is there a moment I guess the moment is him at the start in the car bleeding going ah. yeah that's I kind of so. that's the iconic image of the film I guess is it I don't know is it <laughs> maybe I'm not sure there is one I mean maybe just him kind of stood with the New York skyline backdropping him and him well, with his flowing locks and earrings. So you said he was Oscar nominated for this. Yes. But when they come to awards nominations, they tend to show a clip of or or a scene, don't they? What to, clip would they show? Yeah, this this doesn't have it. I mean, like Spotlight had the here's Mark Ruffler's mm. audition for the Oscars bit, but I don't think this had a particular. Maybe there's a scene where his girlfriend is trying to, you know, make him kind of. She's playing devil's advocate a little bit, but she's trying to. His second girlfriend. Him, yeah, gently coax him out of this situation he's got himself in and he just kind of erupts at her. Yeah. That's, that's very much like Al, Al Pacino, capital A, acting. It's great. <laughs> but Do you think they could have combined those two women into an interesting character? Yeah. It's I, not great for women characters. I, I'll give you that. It's a bit one-dimensional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Small screen score. Adam? I don't think this film suffered too much from being on the small screen. I mean, it's not been restored or, or anything. So you're watching it kind of as it was shot yeah it's very gritty it's got this very you know un unembellished kind of cinema cinematography and it's, it seems very accurate to what new york probably looked like in the time so i'd probably give it a four yeah for that chris i'm gonna give it a 4.25 just up what is on my page <laughs> <laughs> i mean you can you, yeah i don't think it really loses anything by being on the small screen you can still appreciate pacino's acting mm -hmm. and also his fashion choices <laughs> yeah they don't they aren't diminished by the screen he like his his outfits feel whatever medium you're watching it on be it the, the man purse so if, ponytail. This in, if this is in 3d there's, there's so he does many... have a lovely handbag doesn't he <laughs> yeah, but he, he the thing he's a maverick he Good just doesn't it. give a damn like he'll wear what he wants to wear helen i'm gonna give it a four again it, this you need you don't need to watch this on a laptop no. quite comfortably yeah. and also again one of the things about netflix is that there are a lot of films out there that you may have missed for some reason or you haven't seen for a long time and it's nice to be able to have that kind of back catalogue yeah when it comes to you yeah instant so um yeah so even though i've not exactly raved about it it is an interesting film so you should probably check it out if you've ever been curious about it Another blind spot is Carlito's Way, which came up as a, a suggestion. Ooh, I really like that film. Yeah, I'm sure I know. I remember I know liking it, but again, it's been 15 years. I know, yeah. I know it's pretty cheesy. Adam's giving it the, the okay, the, the thumbs up there. 
I mean, that's another one where he's kind of dying in the car. Has he, does he end up in a car? Is it the train Let's station? Let's not spoil, train not, oh, not spoil sorry. a different film. <laughs> he gets on a train. What's, what's the spoiler? He gets on the train. And it turns into Orient Express. No, he doesn't, he doesn't even make it on the train. No, but hey, guys. Oh. Just, anyway. All right, small, my, I'm going to give it five. I'm going to give it five. Uh, sorry, four points. <laughs> four point one. Because I want to be a bit obtuse. Engagement score. Adam. Again, I'm going to match my recommendability score and go five. Nice. Okay. It's I know it's over two hours, but I'm just totally engrossed by his performance and would happily just sort of sit through that and yeah, absorb it. Yeah, absorb it. Chris, I really felt like I should care more about his crusade than I did. It was an easy, easy enough watch, but I'm going to go two point five. I'm going to split the difference. I think one interesting thing again about this film is like watching it today, knowing that what he did wasn't necessarily for nothing, but there's a certain futility to it. Mm. You know, it's like, as I said, this this whole thing is bigger than him and you know that corruption still exists. You know that police forces are still guilty of basically not doing what they should be doing. So yeah, there's a sort of, I don't know, it feels like the film's taken on a, an air of like poignancy over the years, which yeah. maybe wasn't intended at the time. Helen? Oh, 1.5. I just found it a bit boring and... I was well off on the Wikipedia and IMDb thing. And also, I when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking, so what other films are a bit like this, but not like this? And I was thinking about something like The Departed. Yeah, which, I thought about that. That was, that was yeah. a point of comparison. Which I, I, I really love. I mean, that's kind of flashy and really over the top. But I think I'm a little bit spoiled with things like that now. And yeah. then going back to something like this, I'm a bit like, mm. yeah, it could have been a bit it, more. It is a lot more gregarious the yeah. departed even though it's a three hour long film but I'd, I'd put that in the same kind of engagement score for me the departed because i first time watching departed first time watching this was my first time watching this and i had the way they set it up as someone shot serpico you don't know who did it and i was like thinking oh the cop's Which gonna cop do it be? is it gonna be a setup that he's, he's led into a robbery and the cops are there and this one of them just shoots him that didn't happen and I felt kind of let down by the way it got shot. Let down by the truth. Yeah, the, real, was, the real story. It was a bit poor. Supercar <laughs> so, uh, survived it though. So, but yeah, all the way through I was really engrossed. I did really like how he acted. It was understated and I did like the story. I'm going to give it a four. Did you have any ideas of who you'd, re who you'd recast if they're doing a 2017 Serpico? Okay. Oh. Mm, I've got um, one. Go then. Oh shit, I just forgot his name. <laughs> uh, Sam Rockwell. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah, I'd see that. Because okay. there's some dancing scenes, which is a requisite of all Rockwell films. And you could imagine him wearing all the all the outfits and bearding up. And he's, he's got good screen presence. You always like him. Mm. Yeah, I'd watch it. So you, you choose it's Rockwell as well, do you? No. Rockwell right. is he's, he's in three billboards, is he? He's very good in it. And he plays a very, he plays a cop who's introduced as a racist cop mm -hmm. and you know he's a very complex guy basically and has an idea of like what a police officer should be and tries to live up to that and uh, doesn't quite manage it so that I, could, i'm a big sam rock so this to be right his best performance in, in quite a while oh, right. but all his performances are great so this yeah. sound, that's some that bodes really well what uh, about um andy circus is the dog <laughs> <laughs> it's the mocap dog <laughs> he would spend like a few years researching yeah. roles or practicing. He would go deep. Character. Yeah. yeah. I like it. My thought was Mark Ruffalo. Mm. Mark Ruffalo with a big tash though. 
Yeah. I, I, I could pull off a tap. I mean, I'd, oh, I'd, watch, I'd watch that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep remaking it every 20 years. Yeah. It? I think he'd look more like a 70s porn star with, mm. it, with his kind of curly hair and his tash. He doesn't really do... He's kind of moved away from the serious the shouty, stuff. shouty, angry, angry very well. He does more kind of he, brooding. He turns into the Hulk. Sad. He doesn't really, though. I see him in real life. It's actually Andy Serkis doing that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I... I I'm not sure who could re. I don't think you can recast Serpico. He is Serp. He is Scarface. He is Serpico. Let's do the little white lie scores then. Anticipation for for this. Yeah, should I run through these? Yeah, again? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so you can run, run through run through the LWL scores that we that we stole from. Yeah, so we we review <laughs> films and rank them in a sort of unique way, which is to give three scores for anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. Yeah. I guess the idea is to capture the, more of the more of the sort of feeling and and, asp- and experience of going to see a film and you know the the the, the hype the build up before it which as often these days is colored by like trailers you know, yeah trailers and social media campaigns long and, trailers yeah. Yeah. which you know I, I quite like to go into seeing a film blind if i can yeah. which is which is so hard to do which is very hard to do now yeah. i tend to if there's a film i want to see i don't know about seeing it, and the trailer starts and if i've made my mind up within 10 seconds of wanting to see it, I, I, I shut it down if it's something on youtube but you can't often escape that when you go to the cinema. You just kind of... There's, there's a guy on a podcast I listen to. He he won't watch trailers for anything until after he's seen it. He calls himself The Unsullied. Right. Uh, <laughs> and he says, you know, it causes great problems in his marriage and going to the cinema to actively avoiding everything. He'll just... But it's, you know, it's a good ethos. Yeah. But it's not easy to do. Yeah, no, very much. And so, yeah, then we have enjoyment, which sort of speaks for itself. And yeah. then in retrospect, which I guess is you know the the time after the film that you've had a, a you know chance to think about it and let it let it digest so what are your thoughts for the for the scores here for you for this one i think for anticipation i'd probably give it a 4 because it's not al pacino's best known performance and as i say compared to something like dog day afternoon or network it's it's maybe not a film which is up there and people at the front of people's minds in terms of films from that era films yeah. by even Sydney the Met so four for anticipation and then I'd go five and then probably five again for the other two yeah Chris anticipation I went for a four because uh yeah I was just oh yeah that was a classic I'm looking forward to re-watching that seeing I hadn't seen a good Al Pacino film in a while and so I was mildly excited by watching it again enjoyment is that next one yeah two because I didn't enjoy it that much but a limited amount and on hindsight is it in retrospect two and a half Hello. So, so anticipation was quite high that was a four yeah one that i'd not seen only seen the rushmore version <laughs> which, <laughs> which is very good as well <laughs> i mean even their apocalypse now is probably better than francis ford coppola's apocalypse now it's a great film <laughs> <laughs> but sadly i didn't really enjoy it too in retrospect, a two. That's fine. Those, those are your scores. I'd say in anticipation, four. Enjoyment, I think five, actually. In enjoyment. I was really enjoying it whilst, whilst it's on. And in an retrospect, four. Because I think the way he actually got shot was just disappointing. <laughs> and then he had like green blood in his pillow. Did you notice that? Uh, it, was green. I, it, was, it was green. It was green. Was it? I was like, what is he, a xenomorph? What's <laughs> going on? I didn't notice that. So Something was afoot, I, and I, I had questions. So we, we reached out to our Twitter fans to ask them what they thought about Serpico. Helen, do you want to take the top one? 
So uh, John Applegate at John App. Oh, I can't read this. Six three four nine nine six six seven. Obviously, a lot of other John Applegates before. Yep. Great movie. And then uh, uh, we we did say any stars. If you insist, five stars. Chris, do you want to take the next one? It was a what were they thinking? All one word at WWTT podcast. They said probably like four stars, but I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> uh, Adam. Yeah, Shitegeist at Shitegeist Pod. Yeah. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Says the little I can remember was a four star movie, but memory ain't perfect. I think it is one of those films that, especially on Netflix with its algorithms and categorization, it, it's something that probably pops up on a lot of different, you know, it's like. You crime. liked Jack and Jill. You yeah. were like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> both, both Al Pacino films. But I wonder whether it's a film that people do just kind of skip through and they probably update the image on it every 10 minutes or so to try and get people to watch it. But yeah. yeah. So but I think I would encourage people to revisit it. Thank you. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. Let us know how to find you online and say goodbye. Yeah, so I'm, I am I am on Twitter. I have a personal account. Yeah. Which is just AW Lies. Yeah. Inspired by our, obviously, Little White Lies account, which is LW Lies. I, I'm not a particularly, I don't use Twitter a lot, but, you know, follow Little White Lies because we do some good stuff. I don't really do good stuff. And then Truth and Movies is the name of the podcast. We don't have a Twitter page, but yeah, Truth and Movies. If you go on Little White Lies website, which is just lwlies.com forward slash podcast, you can have a listen there. Yeah. And if you like 70s films, we've got a bevy of them coming up on my podcast, Easy Riders Raging Podcast, which is on iTunes and Stitcher and a few other things like that. All the pod places, basically. All, all, all the pod, all your, all your podcatcher things. Podding <laughs> needs. Yeah. Yeah. And the Twitter is at ERR Podcast. Yeah. I got it that time. Great. Brilliant. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks a Thank lot. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Bye. 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 Hi guys, hope you enjoyed the show there. Please do check all our beautiful guests out on the show notes and links to their Twitter account and their iTunes for the podcast are there. And also do check out the website because that's where a lot of their information is. Thank you very much to our editors as always. Toby is the main guy who, who helms and carves our voices. And also hellos to Tony, Jay and Greg and everyone else at GL Productions who we haven't met yet. Of course, Please big up Mighty People for the tunes you can hear now and at the start of the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and visit our website, FlixWatcher.tv. 